But I want you to understand, as you can possibly imagine, that that harvest did not magically appear. That uh, I didn't uh, just sit in my house and wish that one day uh, that I would have tomatoes and peppers and things just shoot up out of nowhere. My sons and I, we had to prepare the ground by removing uh, any of the weeds that were there and turning over the soil mending the soil, adding nutrients uh, to make sure uh, that the soil would be ready to receive either the seeds that we would put in it or the small plants that we would place there. But then, as you can imagine, it didn't stop there. We had to water it regularly. And as I began to think about watering the garden regularly, uh, one of the things I began to think about, man, was the water bill. I'm like, man, you know, this stuff that, you know, we have to put this like pouring liquid gold onto those plants. Amen. I, I started thinking about, I think I told Dolores, I said, when it all came down to, I think uh, one tomato may end up costing us like $5. But I tell you, there's nothing like biting into a tomato that just came right off the vine. The sweetness and the richness or being able to uh, take one of the plants like basil, and when you take the basil off, uh, that you can smell the aroma or the, the green bell pepper, that the moment uh, that you take it off of the plant, that all of a sudden the air, you know, not just the plant, but the air surrounding it is infused. I need to be a waiter, right? It is infused with the scent of the bell pepper. But this was a tough job, and it required lots and lots of attention. But what we were looking for after months of hard work was, in essence, the outcome of that labor. We were expecting basil and thyme and rosemary. The question I have for you today is, what do you expect after you are saved? What is the outcome of your salvation? On the one hand, I mean, I know that you say, I've believed in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. But the question I'm asking you is, what else do you expect? Jesus Christ he has done all the hard work for you. He tilled your spiritual ground. He removed all the weeds that were in your life. And he fertilized the ground of your spiritual life. To what end? What is the outcome of you being justified by Jesus Christ? No, it's easy to observe the outcome of, of us planting a garden. Because in the end, we do get tomatoes and celery and peppers. The end of your hard work at school is to get good grades, amen? Or prayerfully to graduate. The end or the outcome of you 
working hard day after day and week after week on your job, hopefully is a paycheck, amen? But again, what about your spiritual life? What do you get? What exactly is the outcome? If you don't know what you can expect, then I invite you to engage your heart. The same is true whether you have forgotten or, or maybe you want to understand uh, what are some of the benefits of being a Christian. Either way, I want you to open your heart. And I want you to engage your mind, your whole self, in the Word of God today. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Romans chapter 5. Verse 1. What is the outcome of being justified? Paul asked. What is the outcome of being justified? Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But before we begin to look at this passage, uh, we cannot ignore the previous context, as some of you know. Uh, because you know that if you begin a verse, and you have the words like therefore and but, uh, that you have to ask yourself, what is it therefore? And in this case, this takes us back to a previous context. And believe it or not, uh, the, the, the fuller context takes us all the way back to chapter 1. But this immediate context, really, let's go back to Romans chapter 4. And in Romans chapter 4, Paul says, here in verse 22, that the faith of Abraham was counted to him as righteousness. Remember that he said in Verse 20, that no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God. Abraham simply believed God through faith. It was not his deeds or his works that ultimately brought Abraham to a position of righteousness or justification before God. It wasn't what he did, it was his what? You know what it is, his faith. If Abraham was justified by faith, then so have you if you are in relationship with Jesus Christ as Savior. Abraham and the rest of us must come to grips with the fact that we must accept Jesus if we are to expect the fullness of God and His plan for our life. So being justified or made right by faith in Christ is a fundamental building block of what you believe. When you are justified by faith in Christ, you have now been declared right before God. You are now right before God. But prior to you being declared right before God, you stood condemned as you rapidly 
headed towards your sentence of wrath. So before you and I were declared to be right before God, you were running. You were running down a slippery slope uh, towards the judgment and the wrath of God. So being justified, however, is now an established fact for every disciple of Jesus Christ. We are thankful we have Abraham as our example of uh, being justified. And this justification is what we have in Christ, which we don't take for granted. Why? Because it flows out of God's grace. Brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm not talking about His cheap grace. His cheap grace and what some people say, well, uh, grace, it really didn't cost anyone anything, but it cost God everything. Grace costs God the life of His Son. We are the recipients of costly grace and what someone like you and me are in a position in which we have been shown kindness and favor specifically by God. This grace is clearly undeserved. It is clearly unearned because of our uh, uh, inability of meeting that need ourselves, that we cannot get to God on our own laurels. Try as you may, but if you, as an example, needed repairs on your car and someone came along and said that uh, I'm going to help you uh, repair that car, I'm going to take care of it for you, and you don't have to pay me anything, well, the bottom line is that the first step that needed to be had is that you have to receive and allow that favor to come your way. Amen? Don't you know some people, they don't like uh, anyone to do anything for them? You know some people like that, no, don't do nothing for me. No, don't do this. No, don't do that. You know, Sometimes there's an element of pride that comes into our life which gets us in trouble. And if you are of sorts in which you are so prideful, in fact, if you are arrogant that you do not want to receive uh, the grace of God, then you are in really big trouble. So now that we understand that we have been justified, that we have been justified, that we have been made right before God through the blood of Jesus Christ, okay, we get that. So now what is the outcome of being justified? Again, we know that there's heaven, but is there anything else? Here it is. The first outcome of being justified. We have peace with God. We have peace with God. Again, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So because of being justified by faith, we are now at peace with God. We all know of many people who claim to be at peace with God, but are not really at peace of God. Some people think that they are a peace of God, a peace uh, with God, because they can sit around and they can sing songs all the time. They can whistle melodies so now that they have a true sense of peace. And then there are some people who think that they are at peace simply because they keep it quiet where they are. Amen? And then there are some people who believe that they are at peace 
because they can just hum uh, some unintelligible uh, 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 syllable thinking that that brings them peace. I tell you that uh, those are not the things that gives us peace on the inside. Yeah, singing may make you feel good uh, for a little bit, amen? The Lord knows that uh, when I sing, it makes me feel good, and that's why I make up so many different songs in our house, amen? Amen. But it is also overconfident to think that peace is unnecessary. If you think that peace is unnecessary uh, because uh, you have not experienced the fullness of the wrath of God. So you think I have this peace and you really don't have peace uh, because you don't understand that the wrath of God is coming for you. It's coming for you. You have not known what it is to be God's enemy. Why? Because, uh, as we, we talked earlier about uh, the grace of God, right? That is a special grace for people who receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But then there is this general grace in which the entire world receives. Amen? That is that grace in which God uh, allows all of us to, to breathe His air. That He allows us to walk on His planet and to be nourished by his food. Uh, this is all a part of God's general grace that we all receive. And he gives us grace uh, as an opportunity uh, to uh, uh, say yes to him one day. So I'm not sure how you would feel to be constantly at odds with someone or to be at war with someone. How would it feel to know that you have to go to work? And I know some of you have been there. That you have to go to work and you have to constantly fight with people when you get there. You know what I'm talking about? Or have, if you have to go to church and if you have to fight with people every time you show up to church. The Lord, no, I've been there too. Or, or maybe uh, there's somebody that you are at odds with at your very school. Now I know all of our students in here, they're so likable uh, that they're never at, any, uh, at odds with anyone at their school. Amen? Amen. Now imagine, if you would, being a candidate for God's wrath because you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Do you really understand what it means to experience God's wrath? I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 21. Exodus 19, beginning in verse 21. Now, I, I, I bring this passage into focus because we must understand how awesome God is, amen? Amen. We must understand how powerful God is. Now here in Exodus 19, uh, all of Israel had to come and basically come to the foot of the mountain in order to meet God because God told them to do this. But we need to read how awesome God is. People understand who are on his good side, right? At this particular point, the children of Israel are on his good side. Amen? We understand that? Can you say good side? So they were on his good side. Huh. 
Now read this. Verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. What does it mean, lest the Lord break out against them? Do you know what that means? That means unless God said, you're going to die. And these are people who are on God's good side. So imagine if you are an enemy of Jesus Christ, that you are not on the good side of God, or that, that you are living in your sin, that you are a candidate for God's wrath. You don't have peace with God. You can sing as many songs as you want to. You can hum as many syllables as you want to. And you can be uh, quiet or silent in a room as long as you want to. You will not have peace with God. But God's peace is important to all of us. Because the state of affairs of our life had not been pleasing to him. Why? Because we had only been candidates of his wrath or anger due to ungodliness, due to the sin that's in our life. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. Romans 1 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you are a candidate of God's wrath. The funny thing about uh, a depraved mind is that it can't see or understand when it is heading for disaster. Uh, thinking in the back of my mind, uh, even uh, uh, some people who uh, promote the idea uh, of that you can live however you want to live. That you can do whatever you want to do and God is going to be okay with you simply because he loves you. But I tell you, you have not read all of Romans chapter 1. You have not read all of the book of Revelations or uh, many of the Gospels. You don't understand. Someone who thinks that they are smarter than what they really are. You know that you're heading for disaster. Imagine if you would, you're driving down the street one day and a man with an orange vest and an orange hat is flagging you down and he tells you, you need to stop and turn around because if you don't stop and turn around, I want you to know down there another half mile that the road is out. And if you are to continue down that road the way you are, that you are going to die, that you're going to crash into that pit and you're going to die then you yourself, you think that you are smarter than he is. 
You ask him the question, well, how do you know? Have you not been down there? And he may tell you, well, they dispatched me down here. I didn't get a chance to see it, but my source is reliable. And my source says that if you continue down there at the speed that you're going without uh, really understanding what I'm saying and heeding my warning, know that you're going to be in big trouble. But the idea about having peace with God is not only seen as a cessation from a negative possibility, but in a sense of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament says there is a sense of peace, or what is known as shalom. This indicates a desired wholeness, a soundness, a goodness of well-being, prosperity, and yes, even redemption. So if you happen to see a Jewish person and you tell them shalom as in hello, you're not just saying hello, you're telling them that you're hoping that you're doing fine, that you're whole, that you're sound, and that you're well, the goodness of who you are, that well-being, you're praying that they are okay. But also think of God's shalom as being in harmony with him as well. So even though we typically try to narrow down the definitions a bit uh, and not have such a wide swatch, understand that the idea of shalom with God, peace with God, that it embodies all of those things. So with peace to gain and, and a wrath and eternity of incompleteness to endure, we have everything to gain by following Jesus Christ. So when Paul says here in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have shalom with God. That we are no longer seen as, as, as his enemies. So your justification puts you at peace and harmony with the Lord. Second outcome of being justified we have access to God's grace. 5.2 Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The grace in which we now walk is only because we have been granted access to that grace through Jesus Christ by faith. The idea behind access uh, you, you read the verse there. Verse 2, it says, Through him uh, we have also obtained what? Access. So the idea of access is being, in essence, granted an audience before a, a, a royal court. Imagine a king sitting on his throne. Imagine all of his knights being around him and, and all of his court of officials being around him. How are you going to get to that king to talk to him? Or that you have to be granted access in order to make it to that king. Amen? How are you going to get the ability to speak with the king? Someone has to vet you. Someone must know who you are. So this is what we're talking about. That through Jesus Christ that we have obtained access, that we have been vetted and given the ability to come before the presence of the Lord. Something very important. 
that God wants us to understand. That it is only through Jesus Christ that we are granted the access to the presence of God. And without Jesus Christ, there is no access to this grace. Outcome number three. We boast in an anticipated glorious future. We boast in an anticipated glorious future. Through Him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. But what is this anticipated glorious future? Paul helps uh, to clarify what he meant by rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, This hope which Paul speaks of uh, is, is realized in the fullness of who Christ is. That one day, that when Jesus Christ sets foot on this planet, that we will see him for who he is. Amen? That we will be able to rejoice and say, here is our Lord and here is our Savior. But then there's a sense that, uh, quite frankly, that you are also going to be glorified as well. No, it is not going to be the same glory for which God has, amen? But you are going to be glorified as well. Romans 8, verse 18. Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So it goes deeper in the sense that we as God's children will be rejoined uh, with the very glory that was lost. Uh, Did you realize that there was a glory that mankind had before uh, the, uh, uh, the economy of sin? Are you aware of that? That you were actually, uh, had a glory coming off of you? Are you aware of that? I know you're saying, where is that glory today? I received Jesus Christ, but it's coming. Amen? It's coming. And, and I believe we're not going get to that, get that, receive that full glory until God perfects us. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Come on. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, He also did what? Justified. There it is again. And those whom he justified, he also... There it is. I know that you're looking at some of of the people in here, and you're saying, they're not showing the glory of God. Uh, They're just a fool. But one day that God's glory is somehow going to emanate from that very person that you're talking about or who you have in your mind. But now returning to the phrase as a whole, we see that this rejoicing that Paul states uh, we do have is a, a boasting of sorts. The original language tells us that uh, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now understand this, that uh, the bottom line, that the hope that we have, uh, that is different. It is not that hope wishing and praying that something really happens because we don't know whether it's, not, whether it's going to happen or not. It is not like taking a, a penny and throwing it into a fountain. It is not like uh, getting a, a wishbone, 
right, and break it, and you get the, the right side, and you say, now I'm going to make a wish, and I hope it comes true. It is not like seeing a falling star in the sky and say, I need to make a wish, and I hope that it's going to come true, because I'm not sure if it's going to come true or not. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ is the one for which we know is going to happen. Amen? We can celebrate because uh, Jesus is coming back soon. Amen? It is an established fact. But then here we go again, outcome number four. Outcome number four is another one of those things which are just hard to understand. It's hard to fathom. Outcome number four. We boast in sufferings. We boast in sufferings. Verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice or boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Just that section there, uh, to rejoice in sufferings. Okay, if you don't want to look at it as boasting, okay. But what about rejoicing? How many of you actually rejoice in your sufferings? We want to, anyone in here rejoice in their sufferings? When you suffer, you just say, let's have a party. Now, if it's you, I don't want to you know, embarrass you or anything, but if it's you, we just need to know, is there anyone in here that literally, that you rejoice in your suffering? Do you say, thank you, Jesus? I know some people who, they do thank the Lord when they go through. When they're experiencing pain, they just say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you have not left me. When they're going through the most terrible pains, thank you, God, when, uh, when I don't know what I'm going to do next, I want to thank you in advance. I know people are like this. Paul is saying here that when you go through, he says, rejoice or boast in your suffering." Who wants to suffer today? Who in here wants to suffer today? Suffering seems to contradict the very values we hold dear as human beings. <laughs> because we do everything in our power to make sure that we cannot and will not suffer. Don't we? How many of us in here exercise? Just a few, huh? All right. How many of you here take vitamins? Okay, more hands this time. How many of you in here are watching what you're eating for the most part? Okay, the numbers went down that time. Okay. Uh, the, why do we do what we're doing? Why do we do what we do? Because we don't want to suffer in the future. You know I'm telling the truth, right? You don't want to suffer in the future, so therefore you're trying to get your act together now. And you go to the doctor, and they say, okay, we need to run a battery of blood tests on you again, and just to check to see where everything is, you just put, oh, Lord, I pray that nothing else comes up, nothing else comes up, nothing else comes up. Because you know if something else comes up, the next thing he or she is going to say that, okay, uh, we need to get you to take this pill here. Because if you don't want to suffer in the future, you need to take this pill. See, none of us want to suffer. 
So then what do we mean by boasting and suffering? The idea of suffering has, has behind it of being pressed. Uh, imagine uh, a show that you may have seen on television, uh, some of the older shows in which they're trying to make wine, right? They're trying to make wine and they have all the grapes in the vat. And then you see the ladies, uh, whatever kind of ladies there are, uh, and, and their feet, they're pretty and they have really, really big feet, right? And, uh, and they're crushing, they're crushing, and they're crushing all the grapes because they're trying to extract from it all of the goodness from the grapes. Or they, you have something in an olive press, in which an olive press presses and presses, right? The more that is pressed, what comes out? Hopefully what you desire, amen? So in your life, if you feel that life is squeezing you, question that you must ask yourself, what's coming out? When the situations in your life become so tough um, that you can feel the vice grip of life just tightening over and over again, what comes out? Do you fight? Do you curse? Do you talk about people? Or do you bless the Lord? Or do you thank the Lord because he wants you to see what's really in you? What comes out of you when the pressure of life squeezes so tight? Is it worship? Or is it worry? It is our hope the majestic presence of God in our lives that we are able to rejoice in our suffering. This is hard. I admit to you, this is, this is very difficult to grab hold to because, you know, when I think about it, as a matter of fact, when I've heard uh, sometime in certain uh, religious organizations uh, that they will tell you in a second, God never wants you to suffer. That you should never experience a bad time in your life. And then I, I may ask that preacher, I said, well, what about Romans chapter 5, verse 3? That Paul never asked here in this particular case to take the suffering away. Remember, even in Corinthians, Paul said that he asked the Lord three times to take away that thorn from his flesh. And God says, uh-uh. He says, you know, my grace is what? Sufficient for you. In other words, God says, Suffer. But the result was that Paul ended up rejoicing in the Lord. So don't get me wrong in thinking that I'm of the sorts that when you begin to suffer, then you don't need to pray for God's healing because God just wants you to suffer. I don't believe that either. Amen? I believe that when we go through, we better pray, and we better pray, and we better pray, and we better pray again. Praying that God would allow us to be healed. I believe that. I've seen it for myself. But what happens when God does not bring healing to you? Do you understand the will of God? So this doesn't mean again that we're glad to experience pain, because I'm not. But there's a knowledge that the Lord is working out something in our life from which uh, the end result will mean that we will be better and more like Jesus Christ. Face it, 
There's some situations that just somehow it crystallizes your faith. There's a tragedy in your life and in your family. It crystallizes your faith. When there's uh, something not right on your job, when it happens, it condenses your faith, and all of a sudden, uh, your, your prayer life begins to improve again. Remember that? Remember sometimes uh, that the prayers that we have, uh, sometimes they can be a little shallow. Sometimes they can, uh, cannot uh, contain the full substance of being connected with the God of the universe. But have a health issue. Have a health issue. Have something go wrong with you or your kids. I guarantee you that all of a sudden your prayer life will change. I guarantee you, you will be as close to God than you have ever been in your life. So what do we do until then? We continue to press and press and press into the presence of the Lord. So know that just because you are justified in Christ Jesus, that this is not your automatic get-out-of-suffering-free card. That just because you can dance around, Jesus, save, save, save me, save, save, save me, right? Uh, just because you receive uh, that salvation and redemption through Christ, uh, that does not mean you will never, ever suffer in your life. Somebody done told you wrong. In fact, if you know what I know, you also understand that uh, there are some people that once they come to Jesus Christ, their suffering actually increases. There are some people whose suffering increase more because they have come to Christ. Suffering somehow becomes a furnace to test us in terms of our commitment to Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, as you hear this, I pray that Lord would just bless you with, with, with much suffering. What kind of prayer is that? Because if it means that we become more like Christ, Lord, my prayer is that let your will be done. And then finally, suffering becomes a starting block for creating character traits that can only come through this process. If you've seen any of the uh, Summer Olympic Games, you may have watched some of the uh, track and field events for the 100 or 200, uh, I was going to say yard, but meter dash. I forget, I'm in a new, uh, 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 I live in a new society, right? 100 yard, 100 meter dash, I got to watch that. The runners would take their places on the block and they would wait for the sound to go off before they begin to run so everyone is lined up. But if you leave the starting block ahead of time, then you are automatically disqualified, period. It's done. You don't get a second, so you may have waited all of your, your life to go to whatever country has the Summer Olympics so you can run this race. But if you leave your starting block ahead of time, if that was the only race that you had to run, you were finished. You were going back home. For the believer, leaving the starting block of suffering is just a beginning for which God produces 
what he wants to be in our life, something that's going to be faithful and true to him. But you cannot leave the starting block of suffering too late either, else you may seem to be languishing in it. In other words, if you fail to move forward, uh, then that which causes you to suffer will, will shackle you and cause you to be held captive and to be chained down. Then all you can think about is that in which you suffer in. Being very detrimental to your spiritual health. But again, you can't leave the starting block too early. Else God will destine you to repeat it again and again and again, amen? You can't leave, you can't, you can't finish too soon. Because if you finish too soon, God is going to tell you, well, you just need to go back and start all over again. How many of you want to start at square one when you're suffering again? No, none of us. Now we can make ourselves better through the power of God's Spirit, but the time spent in the crucible of trials are unforgettable lessons well learned for the wise. So do you want to find out who you really are? Then go ahead and go through some things. Go through the pressure of it all and discover not what you have been telling everybody about Jesus Christ, not what you've been telling everybody about what it means to be a Christian, but yet through your life will be a display of you being anchored in Jesus Christ. So the outcomes of being justified, brothers and sisters, number one, that you have peace with God. Number two, you have access to God's grace. Three, that you boast in an anticipated glorious future, both on the reception of the Lord, our Lord and Savior, and also you being glorified. And then finally, we boast in suffering. For this, these things are the beginning fruits of being justified in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.